Tuesday, October 22nd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, Tim Hanson, and from Motley Fool Pro and Options. And now the new Stock Advisor Canada service, all the way from the Great White North, Jim Gillies. I still think we should have called it Stock Advisor O Canada. Okay. Stock Advisor A. Or that one. That yeah. was good, too. I can't argue with that. But, you know, apparently we did some market research. Stock <laughs> Advisor Canada was the way to go. Good to see you. Good to see you. And, and nice, but not surprised that, unlike me, heading up to Canada, you didn't have any trouble I with border security. I sailed across the border. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're smart. I was carrying a too. live penguin, too, which was weird. <laughs> uh, it's earnings palooza, so we will talk Netflix, Coach, and Radio Shack. Let's start with Netflix. They added 1.3 million subscribers. The stock shot up right at the open, Jim. It briefly touched a new all-time high and then dropped back down to earth. To what extent, if any, do you think that had to do with people looking at the conference call, maybe listening to the conference call, and seemingly the lone voice of caution on this stock, ironically, is CEO Reed Hastings. The lone voice of, uh, of uh, hold up is, is Reed Hastings saying it looks a lot like when the stock was frothy in 2003. And you couple that with, I think, S&P just gave a sell. They moved it from hold to sell this morning. Yeah, it's taken some of the wind out of its sails. I mean, it's it's a it's it's a great business. Uh, I'm a, I'm a very happy subscriber. In fact, I disconnected from my cable company to go pretty much Netflix and Apple TV. Love the product. Stock's pretty frothy, and you know, finally the the only person who seems to be saying that publicly is the CEO. And I, I think that's great. Good for him. Yeah, Tim, my colleague Tony did some work on this, and and he's estimating that to justify the current stock price, Netflix would have to put up about twenty percent revenue growth and 40% earnings growth over the next 10 years. Now, those are potentially achievable numbers because yeah. it, it's on the back of a lot of subscriber gains. But, you know, Jim, me, I don't know about you, happy subscribers. I, I am not a Netflix subscriber. So there you go. There's 33% growth right there. <laughs> um, and then, you know, obviously the earnings growth, 40 sounds big, but this is there's so much operating leverage in this business because they pay up front for content that if more and more subscribers come on, sure, operating margins could definitely expand. You know, but there's myriad risks here as well in terms of you know where does all this bandwidth come from in order for people right. to continue being happy subscribers um where do content costs go and i you know my other thing with netflix is i, I i'm not the best accountant in the world but their accounting is is hard and not in a deceptive kind of way yeah. but just because they buy this content and then they have they amortize it over the life of its sort of useful life but they don't really know what the useful life of a TV show is. So it, it's hard to know how profitable they really are in sort of a steady state or how much content they need to buy going forward to, to fuel their growth. And so valuing the business becomes just really, really hard. Well, it was just a couple of years ago that one of the narratives around Netflix, the business, was, hey, this is a business that could kill cable. And in your case, Jim, you cut the cord, and yet you see these recent reports about Netflix being in talks with U- U.S. companies yeah. like Comcast, and maybe that gets at the bandwidth issue. Where if they're if if Netflix is able to strike some type of partnership with Comcast, all of a sudden that opens up uh, certainly new possibilities in terms of subscriber growth. At the same time. Comcast isn't going to do that out of the goodness of their heart. They're they're going to be getting a cut at some point, uh, uh, at some level, aren't they? Well, there's, an, I mean, you know, you know, we we live in a city where I suspect there are a lot of Netflix subscribers, and if you try to watch a high definition movie on a Friday night, I mean, it's pretty bumpy. Is I mean, it? oh yeah, I mean, it's, it hiccups all the way through. I mean, it's 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 obnoxious, and that's a bad 
customer, you know, that's a bad customer experience. And Netflix doesn't want to have those. And so, you know, what is the, how do they solve for that? You know, Comcast and Verizon aren't going to go out of their way to invest, invest in billions of dollars of, of fiber to fuel Netflix's growth, right? I mean, so yeah, either Netflix is going to have to profit share with those companies. Those companies are going to do something to throttle or jack up rates on Netflix. Or, you know, in some weird world, Netflix raises a lot of debt to go out and build its own network, maybe. Yeah, I, I, and my big fear with Netflix, because we had a position on them in Motley Fool Options about a year ago, ended profitably, but not spectacular. So it was kind of quickly dropped. Not up 260% no, like no, it is year to date. No, we were, I was very cautious because of exactly what Tim said was it's almost impossible to value the business. And, you know, if you, if you, if you do look at, you know, you back out of valuation out of price, you have to have these crazy growth numbers. And moreover, you need this crazy, um, very large um, operating earnings or operating leverage expansion. And my big fear is the the content cost is going to make that very difficult because the content, the the owners of most of the content, and sure, you've seen Netflix moving into their own content, Arrested Development, Orange is the New Black, but they're still buying a lot of content. And the content providers are very much aware that this is valuable and Netflix should pay. It is interesting, though, if you just take the creative piece of this if you if you listen to showrunners producers actors and actresses this type of model whether it's netflix or an hbo is is far preferable to broadcast traditional broadcast television which mm-hmm. can get canceled at any moment whereas if you're hbo or netflix you're ordering an entire season and so it's just from a creative process standpoint you hear people who are willing to forego Potential paydays down the road in exchange for like no, I'm I'm actually just going to enjoy you know creating this show and that sort of thing. But anyway, continues to be an interesting stock to watch. Shares of Coach down more than seven percent this morning uh, on their latest earnings. Uh, Tim, I'm curious what you thought of the quarter. But uh, one thing I want to talk about is this is the sixth consecutive quarter where this stock has moved up or down more than 5% on the earnings news. I don't own shares of Coach. I never really look at it as having that kind of volatility. Um, but you, again, the sixth quarter in a row where it's, it's moving pretty significantly, and in this case, downward. Yeah, Coach is, has been in a difficult position now for for a number of years. What was that? What was was that your was that your iPad? I believe that was my uh, email. That Sorry, was, that was very very <laughs> soothing. I'll turn that off. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> it's the Canadian iPad. <laughs> the so Coach's I think has been in a difficult position for a long time now, which is balancing sort of a very large revenue number and and growthy expectations in the stock with. I, I would I would say the inevitable brand dilution that comes with having to maintain that very high revenue number, um, and you know at the end of the day the luxury space has been doing well, and that's why Coach and people still perceive Coach as a luxury brand, but I think Coach has probably moved down to become more of a mass brand than people are willing to admit, and that's why it continues to disappoint um, because it's not it's not putting up the 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 numbers of the other luxury retailers and. Frankly, I don't think I don't think of Coach as a luxury retailer anymore, particularly in the United States. And so that, until you know, investors come to terms with that and sort of re-rate what they expect from Coach, um, I think it's going to continue to be 
volatile around earnings, and and frankly, it's probably too expensive because it doesn't have that brand power that it used to. Do you think that move was deliberate, or do you think if you get the executives of Coach in a room and jack them up with truth serum, they think to themselves, no, 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 we're absolutely a luxury brand. We didn't move down consciously. I think they are probably partly delusional, and they've done <laughs> things like you know bring on garment um, items that are just ridiculously priced, and you know so they can show up that they still have high price tag stuff. But no one really, I mean, no one who's gonna you know if you if you've got twelve hundred dollars to spend on cashmere, right? Frankly, I don't think you're gonna buy it from Coach. I think you're gonna buy it from Brunello Cuccinelli. Because that's, I mean, that's a real, true luxury brand that is scarce and hard to come by and whatnot. So if you've got that money, you're, you're, you're not going to go buy that product from, from Coach. Um, so I think it's delusional in one sense. But at the other sense, you know, I, I think they saw a very healthy growth path and, and they took it and they did some brand damage along the way. Um, you know, their outlet stores, I think, obviously, if, if you're a luxury brand with outlet stores – Maybe you're not a luxury brand, right? A little dichotomy, <laughs> you know. So that that that's the kind of thing where they, I think, took a bit of a growth at any cost attitude, which has now done brand damage that they're paying for. But at the time they were doing it, um, you know, fueled stock price gains because it allowed them right. to put up very heady revenue growth numbers. But ultimately, you pay a price for that in retail. That seems like it could be a very simple acid test for luxury brands. Do you have an outlet store? Do you have an outlet store? Yeah. Check the box, yes or no. Well, markdowns, I mean, markdowns are the death of profit margins in retail, right? And outlet stores exist for the most part as a place where you get markdowns. And so if you've got them, you know, you're not, you're not, maybe you don't have that retail, that, that brand cachet you thought you did. I think there's a lot, uh, I think there's a lot when what Tim has said there that's uh, very true. Uh, I might disagree a little bit on the valuation now. I think it's been punished fairly well. But uh, what's interesting to me is uh, they're, they're in a, a state of great leadership transition right now. Their uh, former creative director, Reed Krakow, I believe his name is, a lot of Reeds this morning. Um, he is, uh, he's leaving to go take his own brand out, on, out the door, and he's been attributed with a lot of the success they've had over the past few years. The new guy certainly seems to be talking up uh, a lot of returning to the luxury, kind of getting away from uh, the lower end outlet store stuff that Tim has correctly identified as being a problem. Their long term CEO is due to exit next year. Right. So there's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of I think uncertainty in the executive suite, and and that might be going into some of uh, what Tim refers to as the delusional management going on here. Is this, this very, you know, wh- which path are they going to walk down? So uh, they they did. I mean, the North America this morning did not look good. Uh, in terms of, I think they were down six or seven percent uh, comp sales, down one percent overall. Uh, China at least is a, a bit of a, a positive, but um, you know they have certainly a much smaller exposure there. They, they still are largely underrepresented or unrepresented in Europe and other parts of Asia. So I mean, what are they going to look like going forward? You know, and and then you look at the the, the financial performance of the company. Uh, maybe because they're chasing growth at any cost, but uh, certainly the financial performance and the financial management of the company ha- has been excellent. You know, in terms of the cash they've generated, in terms of the capital structure, uh, probably underlevered. Well, not probably, definitely underlevered. Uh, so they make a lot of cash. They pay a nice dividend. They keep on raising their dividend. Uh, they've retired a lot of stock, usually at opportune times. The most recent quarter, perhaps not so much. 
Um, but, they are now uh, spending a billion dollars on a new headquarters. And, and, and then I was just going to go that, to that. The, the, <laughs> really? The, yeah, they, oh, yeah. There was like $750 million or a billion dollars on a new New York headquarters, which was like, uh, that's, that's a warning flag. Well, that's, I mean, I, I think that speaks to, yeah. Jim mentioned the management turnover. And then there's a bit of a culture change because this was historically a very frugal company. Mm-hmm. Their offices in, in New York were very bare bones. You know, it was all about the product. To go and build a monument to yourself in New York City is a change. <laughs> You know, is that, it's an expensive change. Is that it, it's you know, it's like the fifty-five-year-old divor- newly divorced man buying a Ferrari yeah. that maybe he he can afford, but is it a good idea? Is that the yeah? Is that the best use of your cash? Maybe not. Maybe not. Um, when you look at the stock and and taking into account everything you guys have said, it, is is today a buying opportunity? Because it sounds like. And again, I'm not a shareholder. It sounds like, at a minimum, you'd want to see who the next CEO is going to be. Lou Frankfurt, amazing job in his run as CEO. But it almost seems like this is a stock you park on your watch list until you see new management. Well, we, we actually have uh, the, the new CEO. has the, the heir apparent has been tapped. Oh, okay. Victor Ruiz, I think his name was, or... I'm getting blank stare. So, okay. okay. Um, we'll assume that. And if I've got it wrong, sorry. Um, so, we, I mean, he's he's been brought on, you know, so, I mean, he's he's going to get the ball and going to get to run with it. Um, you know, as a straight up buying opportunity, you know, there are a few things that give me pause. Uh, but I'm the options guy, too. So, I can make money kind of right. on a, you know, on a sideways shift or at least a gently rising thing. So, I would say there are some option plays I would probably try before straight up stock buying. Shares of Radio Shack down more than 21% this morning. Uh, probably not at all a surprise, in part because it's Radio Shack. But I, 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 I'm, I'm dumbfounded that anyone looks at this stock seriously. And for all, for all the knocks we've had uh, on, on companies like Best Buy and, and bricks-and-mortar retailers, GameStop, you look at the performance, anyway, of the stocks, Best Buy and GameStop, those two have crushed it Blown in 2013. Yeah. Radio Shack... Is, has somehow convinced some either some entity or some group of entities um, to give them eight hundred thirty-five million dollars in debt financing. Who in the world would do that, Tim? It is a low-rate environment, Chris. <laughs> uh, they hate money. People are chasing yield still. And Radio Shack would be a ostensibly higher yielding is a nice way to put it. I guess risky, high yielding. You know, those are synonyms. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Having said that, the the bull case that I've read for Radio Shack has to do with them successfully selling high-margin peripherals for things you buy online, and then you need a cord or a battery or something or other, or a widget in a wazoo. I I don't think it's that compelling of a bull case. Someone out there is actually writing out a bull case for Radio Shack? This is the age of the internet, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) There are a lot of people out there writing a lot of things. Um, But... You know, so it is. So it goes. Jim, you reminded me that once upon a time, this was, uh, you were part of a team here at The Motley Fool that uh, took Don't a, pin this one on me. I'm not pinning it on you, <laughs> but what, what was the bull case for Radio Shack years ago? I, I think it was a variation of, uh, you know, the, the Benjamin Graham Warren Buffett cigar butt. Cigar butt investing, that there was one puff left in it we could maybe... Uh, maybe recapture uh, some of the past glory by the stock is just not awful enough. I think that uh, the stock was at the time in the low teens, if I recall correctly. Uh, but that there was not today, not today. 
uh, there w- there still was significant cash generation even in the first uh, nine months of this year. They're actually they actually generated almost you know 180 million dollars in cash, uh, which is pretty good. And they're not exactly uh, running that to new store growth. You know, I mean, they're not. Nor they're should not, they. Nor, nor should they exactly. Um, you know, and I think that, uh, and they were they were paying a nice dividend, um, which is now gone. And, and I think that the I think the hope, perhaps, or that the the thesis was that someone would take them out; they'd become a, a part of a larger, you know, private equity empire, and maybe they could lever up behind the scenes. Now, it didn't quite work out that way. I don't think. I think the cash flow has been, in spite of the first nine months of this year, the cash flow certainly fell off. You know. The, the CEO shifted, uh, I think they had a rotating CFO, I think they, our CEO, they've had some shift in priorities, shall we say, what to do with their capital. I mean, retailing, retailing is a fickle and dangerous and volatile business. And there have been a number of high-profile bets recently on companies that are, you know, were once great retailers. You know, think about Sears, JCPenney, yep. Radio Shack. I mean, these things were at one point ubiquitous, well-known, what have you. And they missed out on some mega trend, right? And and you can look at them and say, oh, they've got a footprint. They do a couple things right. There's value there. People will come back. Turns out when you destroy your brand or compromise your brand, people don't really come back. And there are a lot of other retailers out there waiting to take your business. You know, just to jump back to the Coach story, that's why I'd be wary of Coach. I mean, if they've damaged their brand in the way that I think they may have, you know, I, I, frankly, I don't think that consumer. I think that consumer in, in the age of e-tailing, where you know a boutique designer can have global scale, I'm not sure. I'm not sure those people come back, and I think that's the risk. If you are an executive on the Radio Shack conference call, are you pointing out the fact that unlike Coach, you're not spending a billion dollars on a new headquarters? Oh hell yeah, <laughs> you're spending a billion dollars on <laughs> on new bonds. Apparently, are you bringing it in? But they're going to want their money back at some point. Yeah, presumably. All Although right. they could be looking for tax losses. <laughs> you know, I mean, in, in a market like this one, a good tax loss is worth something. That's very cynical. <laughs> Let's end on a cynical note. To read more from Tim Hansen and his colleagues at Motley Fool Funds, you can go to foolfunds.com. Sign up for Declaration's free monthly newsletter. That's available at foolfunds.com. Jim Gillies, Tim Hansen. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.